Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackend and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. The June 10th Cloud 2030 meeting was about service meshes and zero trust and how do we secure services when we don't know how they're going to be used or integrated. And we went actually very deep into what it takes to do this and what type of application frameworks are going to be required to provide a multi-service infrastructure that is secure and trusted in a, in a performant way. Um, so I, I hope you enjoy the conversation. What, what you're describing is using the service mesh as your authentication layer. So the individual services that you have in your app, in your, in your cluster, I won't call it a single app because it's a, it's a distributed multi-component mm -hmm. application. But in that cluster, um, the goal is to have the individual services not have to um, individually think about authentication or trust. Let's let's call it trust instead of authentication, um, and and let the service mesh be the the trust broker, if you will, for communications. So not quite. If each, I, okay, you you you'd consider each of the microservices to be. Um, truly you know implementing a form of zero trust you know i want to know every time i get something from this other microservice or on a on a regular basis i want to check am i still getting you know valid valid information valid traffic from this part of the of the application so one of the you're correct that i'm I'm talking about using the service mesh as the vehicle for um, trust authentication. Let's let's say identity services authentication, and then what I add to that is authorization. There's a policy that says under this circumstance this microservice will accept a request from some other part of the of the application some other part of the 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 construct when it adheres to a certain policy when the context is correct context could be you know Who's asking for it, or why? Where is it? And geographically, those types of things. From that perspective, I mean, what what you're describing to me is an authorization token. So, and this is pretty standard practice when you're dealing with a web request, right? You're you're you know, there's an right. authorization token that has a scope of of control, and if you have that token, you're able to use the the UX right. the, the, the API. Do, you, do does anybody implement those inter? Do many people implement those internally to a uh, an application that's constructed, managed by Kubernetes? You know, has a firewall. We're, you know, it's basically I'm taking a lot of the the premises and the approaches that we've taken in a wider area and incorporated them internally. I okay. I guess I would. I, my assumption is they should be if you're. If you've got a service that doesn't require an authentic authentication in the request, then I would say you've got a 
that service. You got. I would that. agree. I would. Agree. Um, and I would. I would go further to the say if you're doing it on not on not HTTPS, then you've got a problem. Um, and and one of the things I I've advocated for, and Kubernetes does this internally, it, but it makes it harder to set up Kubernetes is you should have very narrowly scoped trust between the endpoints. So if you're generating a self-signed certificate or a private certificate, yeah. then you can say, hey, I only can communicate between these two points. You have to have the pub my public key in order to use that service. And, and does that mean, but does that restrict it too much? Does that make it brittle? And can, is there a way of making it more agile or more adaptive to a situation. For example, when you want to extend the perimeter of this application to something like edge, you know, distributed edge yeah. components. I, I mean, if you're not doing, if you're, I'm, my assumption is going to always be that you're setting up the services in an automated way. And part of setting up those services has got to be injecting the, you know, the, the, keys, mm -hmm. uh, the TLS, the components of the TLS certificate. So it does add some overhead to make sure you're, you right. know, that every service you set up has the appropriate public private key things. I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of, of doing some Kubernetes automation right now. And the thing mm -hmm. that makes Kubernetes set up hard is the certificate distribution. I, I mean, it's, and yeah. the, uh, that, right, because that's literally step one, generate Six certificates. Step two: store them in a place where you hope nobody finds them. Three: put them in the right places in your cluster. Everything yeah. else is gravy after that. Um, frankly, yeah. But that, but what you have to do to get to that point is one of the one of the biggest pain points of using yeah. Kubernetes and and this whole this whole approach. And and yeah. when you have so many different tools and have you know kind of have to roll through this on a you know, on a regular basis, you sure as hell do not want to, you know, add more work for yourself every time there's a change to one piece part. That's Realistically, the service mesh can front all that stuff by setting up, you know, if, if you wanted to pass all the traffic through the service mesh as a router, then it could be the only, it could be the yeah. only thing that had to get in the way. And, um, and, and what I'm advocating is the incorporation of policy that could make the communication among the piece parts a little more flexible over time and be policy-based as opposed to um, kind of going through the, the wackiness that you have to do and, and <laughs> the pain that you have to do to, to actually set these whole things. I don't, I, I, I don't have a... I don't have a particularly high regard for the the manageability of uh, of applications when you're using Kubernetes. It's hard. It's painful. People don't know how to do it. <laughs> and to your point, it does need to be automated, yeah. but it has to be automated in a fashion that actually incorporates policies. I think if someone said from the top. Um, I, I have to pay attention to, it could be data sovereignty. If the data, if the data I'm using is located in the wrong place, 
you know, you can't trust. You you might trust it, but you you're not allowed to. Uh, in other cases, you're sitting there kind of going, I need to make sure that uh, one component of the application has not been um, tainted or hasn't been um, um, invaded with some sort of a, a malware or there's been some sort of a, a security uh, breach. And what I'm, what I'm dealing with is... Um, a, a component of my application that is, you know, exfiltrating data or uh, watching uh, traffic patterns. And, and, you know, we get into this whole area of the supply chain, you know, the data, the software supply chain and, and making sure that you're at least containing threats to the degree you can. So, what I'm trying to, you know, use the service mesh as that mechanism, is that underpinning that hopefully is manageable, policy policy based, and it unfortunately is going to change some of the architecture because I think it really demands a registry. Well, it it demands a registry and a secrets manager. The other the other piece for this um, mm -hmm. like this is this I think is part of the the outcome for the Kubernetes um, uh, and it's not just Kubernetes it's the the service oriented it's the microservices thing is that to do this well you have to you have to acknowledge that I'm not building the routing and the service mesh pieces into my app anymore you need to delegate those right because you you should actually make the job harder and I think this is where you were going. And I, I agree with this. You make the job harder when you try to do work that should be done at the in the service mesh. Um, exactly. And this, to me, is one of the the places where Kubernetes falls down. That I think Cloud Foundry did better because Cloud Foundry had a sort of had a service mesh built into it, although it was not as sophisticated. And um, yeah, I agree. And and what I'm basically saying is. If you're going to use Kubernetes, you're going to have to be more dependent on service mesh, a more functional and a more usable service mesh for a number of different purposes. And those are some of the purposes I see that make it worthwhile to invest in, in improving that or getting the right kinds of administration and management tools in place so that you don't have this kind of swarm of little tiny tools to manage everything, which, I mean, I, I take a look at what people have to use in order to keep these things afloat and, and what effectively, you know, they're trying to make production. I mean, you're smiling. You, um, you I, I'm laughing because this is where the Kubernetes community to become an open source ecosystem just went crazy on <laughs> decomposing this into a whole bunch of different projects instead of building a, you know, a, an integrated platform to do it. It's like they're they're rebuilding APM application performance um, monitoring and, and management from the bottom up instead of from the top down. Oh, the service mesh should, is really an APM uh, to me. Service mesh is an APM concept. Um, okay, that's fine. And, and 
I, if it's an APM con, concept, that's great. If it's defined or at least managed from a viewpoint that's top down, that makes more sense for a CIO. That makes a lot more a lot more sense for, um, in my mind, to um, someone that actually has to run this thing in production. Everything you're describing, and to me, this is maybe the the place where where my teeth grind on this. <laughs> watching having watching service meshes evolve as a way to solve a, a Kubernetes problem is that it's actually an APM problem. What you're describing is how do I credential and secure services as part of my application? How do I inject secrets? How do I make sure that they're and and good service meshes uh, make sure that traffic is distributed. They make sure that there's logging that I can right. There's there's all sorts of APM things in the service mesh. Yeah, um, and, and it is it, and it as such it becomes a vehicle for a zero trust or a zero trust like approach to security internal to the. Um, internal to the app. Is it that because at that point you're saying this is my gateway, this is my application's gateway, and these things can communicate to each other, these talk to each other, these these don't, right? It's mm -hmm. um so maybe yeah. maybe what I'm saying, but not very well, is that <coughs> the point of view that people have of what a service mesh does and how to make use of it needs to be re-engineered, you know, re-regenerated. And what you mm -hmm. see here is a vehicle for a broader range of application performance management, application kind of construction, policy-based construction. You know, how do you how do you take an infosec policy statement and implement it inside these this herd of microservices? You do it hopefully in one spot, and you local in the sense that you focus on this mesh, this network, this bus, you know, and that's that's where you you know make the definitions, make them consistent with one another. And you relieve the, you know, the operations staff, where however they're, you know, they're put in place, from having to, you know, make themselves crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean that what what you're describing, and I, I think this is exactly where where we're trying to go with the the topic is, if I'm going to build this container scheduling microservices whatever i think the same would imply for serverless too by the way I, at this point mm -hmm. there's no real difference cuz right the the that gateway is the the entry point whether it's a serverless request or a containerized request or frankly a, a long standing application in old, in the old school sense um and then it really is a question of how you're how you're controlling things in the back end. It's, it would be really nice to think that the platform that does the container management or the micro microservices says, hey, wait a second, I'm getting requests that didn't that you haven't authorized here. Um, I'm pausing. This is it's funny because when in an earlier version of what we build, um, two generations back, we we actually built a, 
a micro a, a reverse proxy gateway to do exactly this right requests came in we authorized the request if it looked good we issued an internal token and then handled communications internally between all the services and so there were internal tokens requests came in are you talking about requests coming in from where outside the perimeter uh, or from any any microservice outside the perimeter inside the inside the perimeter um we issued tokens to talk within the okay. right limited scope tokens the, the challenge would became in that model was that there were times you wanted to talk directly to the services mm -hmm. and you were either always choking them through like they could talk to each other but they were always if they wanted to talk you want to talk directly to a service then you were effectively violating the the um the rules the, the right. rules um or you were talking through the gateway which was not a which was not a which added which added overhead to how the whole system functioned which and, is that's that basically was a service mesh yeah and when they wanted to talk you know service to service and not through this intermediary vehicle mm -hmm. was the reason performance latency overhead what let me i'll be let me be specific and that'll that might help and i can actually tell you what we built because we we literally unwound that whole model because it was um so what what we have right what, what digital rebar does is it provides out of the box like six different services um, to, to do provisioning operations for, for infrastructure. So like EFTP, HTTP, the API itself, file service, uh, DHCP. Um, there's like an orchestra, you know, in that model, there was an orchestrator that did nothing but watch for orchestration events and coordinate other actions. Um, you know, and, and I think we were starting to grow more and more pieces. And so what would happen is we had all these little containers, we were bringing together with Compose, plus we had the, the service mesh, the reverse proxy in the front of all this. And so if you made an, an action, the service mesh would auth you, it would generate a token, but then it would translate that request. It would switch, it would replace the your auth token, which was for your user with an internal auth token that the services behind the scenes would, would see. But for the work we're doing in provisioning, this might be unique to us, but it's there's UDP in there, there's HT, you know, unsophisticated HTTP traffic. Um, there's just file service. I need to send you, you know, a gig of a gig of files. Um, and so for those actions, you know, especially with UDP, it's it's really hard to put a, a service mesh in front of that. Um, and it's really hard to, you know, you, you don't want to transfer all that stuff between internal services. It just makes no sense. And we were then having to. Well, yeah. Actually, here's a question. It, it makes no sense. Unless or until you have to consider. Security amongst the communicating parties. Um. Yeah, that's true. So, but the, the challenge became for some of this stuff, we were literally forwarding traffic from one service to another service and then out. Oh. And so, so right when you're, when you're, it's just, it, it was, you know, we were double sent, all those packets were literally just bouncing around for no, 
no real no good reason. You were you were you were you were you were flood, flooding this 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 little network, this bus. And it's correct. Like, yeah. And then in some cases, we would have to one service would have to talk to another service in order to get a do a validation that something could happen and then come back. And literally they were just going, you know, the data was right next to each, each other, but we were using services for that. We actually ripped out the whole multi-service architecture mm. be, and just went to all of the services are implemented in a single go binary. And it made more sense for us. And then if you get an auth token, you get an auth token and that auth token accesses the system behind the scenes. Um, without having to have an additional tier of, of infrastructure. Now, it wouldn't work if we had um, get data from another thing. And so, I, you know, I, I think people are getting a little overzealous on the microservices architecture sometimes. That's just me. Um, overzealous in the, how granular they are or what? Yeah. Over, yeah, exactly. Um, that there's times when it's beneficial maybe to have teams that are isolated, but you know, there's an extent where like, hey, make your teams talk to each other and coordinate yeah. this work, <laughs> um, and put in put in safeties and protections so that they can they can write in the same code base. Um, Does do you consider your use of tokens in a situation like this to be constraining or or means by which to to kind of offer up the idea of intelligent or or kind of smart smart tokens i'll i'll no, avoid smart contracts but they're they're kind of like mini contracts oh it's the latter 100 so the fact that we do tokens for this means that you have a lot of control over what you're doing and we use the tokens in all sorts of ways like when we have a machine to machine communication, we can create a token that has the right time scale for that communication, is limited to, in scope to those two, those two entities. Um, and so that token, we, we generate tokens that have different functional purposes in all the interactions we have for the system. And so it's a huge win, right? A, a, a human token is sort of you know frustratingly broad. It has to be because it's you know, we don't know what you're doing with the API, but you can set up the system to say, you know what, this token only talks to these things in this machine for this duration, that's it. Um, and the fact that it's the same thing on both both sides of it, um, well, it's it, huge. It, does open up, it opens up, you know, whatever vehicle you're using to, to, to get a token from one place to another, you know, it's kind of like, well, I don't care if, if it's a better idea to go point to point, then we'll go point to point. Exactly. Rocky, That's, Richard, does any of this make sense or resonate with either of you? Or are we I don't just know. I'm, I'm just happily listening and, and thinking about other issues, uh, other things that have used tokens in the past and how they were used. And mm -hmm. also um, thinking, wow, Rob's team is one of those special teams where they actually have like literally tested out ideas, put them in the wild and decided that it didn't work and removed them and moved to a different design. It's it's refreshing to see a design changed at, in a uh, next step of, of production, next version, 
rather than just having a bunch of code glommed on and dead code scattered throughout and out the the product. <laughs> so I'm I'm really you know, I knew I've always known Rob to be pretty disciplined and an engineer, but it's always fun to hear that that some teams do that instead of your standard software development cycle. It's it's I mean for us for if you go back to the original crowbar stuff, we're four generations into how how this design should work. Um, so literally this the fourth rewrite was started and you know we're we're actually a fair ways into that that rewrite and it's proven it's proven itself. But people talk about second system <laughs> the second systems, meaning that they they always fail. I it's it's taken us a long time to get this stuff right um, in, in ways that we thought we thought were, were good. The other thing that we did, since we're talking about auth, by Richard, um, is that um, we found that in a workflow, there are stages that have to have elevated permissions even so. This is actually, this will be, so normally when we, when we do an interaction, um, the API we generate a special token with very limited scope for the for the single machine only can act on itself using that token, and that works great um, until you start hitting edge cases where the system where where that action and what we're doing this more and more the action has to have broader system implications, um, like storing a file. That's the the first one that really came up. Um, or sharing data with other machines. And so over time, that, that very limited scope token, we introduced a concept of a, of an, of a special purpose token. I, let me try to be very specific because these use cases are, are, are concrete. So you start with the idea, I, have, I generate a token that only does actions on myself, but one machine, machine to machine. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I really need to share data with something else in the system need to be able to write data back into a shared shared location. So we created a way to generate a shared token, what we call a profile token. So if you, you can create a token for a machine that lets it to write data to a shared location that other machines can see, but it's a very narrow scope. It's basically a shared white space, the way I would think about it. A share, uh, right? Um, and that was that worked for a long time. You're, you're giving me a look like do you... I know I was, was I, when you say a token that's associated with a machine when you say a machine are you talking about a a microservice or are you talking about physical for us it's a physical machine okay so it's you're talking about it, infrastructure okay but you could do the same thing with a microservice so you could yeah you know, when like I say that. machine you could you could hear microservice perfectly fine that's that actually that was my question perfect. thanks um, and so what, what we found was there were times when you needed to be able to write data into shared spaces. So um, the, the specific case was I'm building a cluster, Kubernetes cluster, and it generates a token that I need to share with the other machines so that they can start their own, their own version of the service. So Kubernetes, you go, you're starting it, you're like, hey, I got a new credential token. All my, all my other uh, workers in that system need to <coughs> that information to bring up the cluster. And so that the first thing that generated that needs to be able to write it back into the shared space. Mm -hmm. And then and then 
the other machines wait for that to happen. And then they, they, once they see the, the credential they need, they take off and start doing their work. Um, and we saw this pattern across, it's not surprising. We saw this pattern in different, different DevOps environments. Um, some people use like a mem, memcache or a dozer or something like that to, to sync. It's a synchronization flag. Do you ever find yourself using or relying on multiple tokens, almost like two-factor authentication in um, order to accomplish something? In other words, that's, mm-hmm. that's what this one, that's what this token did. It, it wasn't a replacement token. This this was actually a um this was a, a second token. So yeah, exactly what you're describing. Um okay. and you had that, to and the the, the downside is you had to know when you were writing data back which token you were using. So if you were writing to yeah. a shared location, you had to know that you were writing, you were using the shared token, not the machine token. Yeah. Um, and then in the last year, we actually, that was not sufficient anymore because we had places where you had to write information back into the system or read information back in the system that the machine didn't have access to. So, um, I use this one all the time when I need to um, get a file out of somewhere and the machines don't have access to the file system or write back a file. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what we added was inside an individual task, you can execute a task with elevated permissions. So elevated we have a, a, a body of for code. some limited amount of time or under limited conditions. Scope of, yeah, for the scope of that task. So, so in this case, I've got a task that downloads and, and caches files. And so in that task, the, that task executes with elevated trust permission that say this task is able to write files. And then you can specify, uh, you know, if you wanted to, you could lock it down to the name of the file or the... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. service so you can you you can restrict it as as much as you can you want to but when that task executes that machine's token now has additional privileges in the to- that it's allowed to write the api is smart enough to say i've got given you special temporary extended status so um, you're relying on the api to uh, to deal with this and 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 i guess my question is do we have to build that kind of logic and facility and the management of the APIs across a, an application estate? You want to think of it that way, or can you do it in one place with a bus of some sort? So oh, that's a I just question. want to point out that what this discussion has morphed into and what I think Rob's company's software is morphed into is an infrastructure operating system. Yeah. And yeah. Op- operating systems research. I mean, that's what Rob's been and his company's been doing <laughs> for all these years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, true. true Rob. <laughs> we, we've been calling it an infrastructure pipeline lately. That's the new term. Uh, yes, it's an operating system. And so <laughs> Uh, All and, right. Yeah. And so a lot of, and you've been doing research. I mean, that's what you've been doing all these years is researching how to design an operating system for this type of environment. And yeah. 
that actually should be a, and you're using it to inform on Kubernetes and service meshes and stuff like that. But this is information that really, again, it's a systems approach. This should be what everything is doing out there. If you're doing microservices, it's a distributed op, a distributed system. You need a distributed operating system. And so you've been doing the whole boot up process and initialization and moving on to, to day one, but you got a lot of you got some really good papers you could put out there now. <laughs> I you you know you're right, and it's actually I'm glad to be able to talk about this. This is stuff that you know I, I think to to the the point we're talking about. These are core things you have to think about in building a service mesh, a working service mesh. Um, and Rich, you're asking the question of all right, does that have to be at the API level, or could the service mesh do it? Um. And if, think, it, if you had to yeah. do it, at, if you have to do it at the API level, what does that imply for the systems you put in place for API management that crosses, you know, that 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 impacts all of the microservices that you're using to compose an application? I. So here's here's where I get thinking about this. I think that what I just described with these three different auth patterns, right? Point to point, um, point, but to share, you know, shared a shared workspace, specialized token for a shared workspace. And then the third one is an elevated permissions, short-term elevated permissions, or yeah, short-term elevated permissions. One-to-one, one-to-many. all of those patterns, <laughs> sorry? One-to-one, many-to-many, and super user. Well, but it's not. Well, it's case, actually we, it's the it's the super user bit on the executable. So it's a mode. But it, but it, for what we did is we were very careful not to make it. So when we built the tokens, they're scoped. They started scoped. Yep. Right. To Rich's question earlier, question was like, did you build specialized the tokens with built-in scopes? Yes. Yep. And so what we're describing here is basically tokens that have, you know, an override, you know, yeah, for this period of time, I'm, you know, yep. mm -hmm. actually it's not even a period of time. It's a controlled entry and exit. So during the, this window of action, my, my privileges are allow me to talk to additional services. So if you took away, like we have a single API and you said, all right, services accessing files or writing files is really a, Okay, during this this window of activity, I need the ability to talk to this other service, and right. and ideally, the the thing doing it doesn't have you know it's all triggered that you're like okay you know I'm before I make this call I'm going to get elevated permissions when this call is over I'm going to automatically lose those permissions. Yep. Privilege the, the thing doing the work the thing doing the work isn't even aware that it's gotten better privileges. It just right. says like oh I. This, this call works, and then you know in a little while it won't work, um, and that so, has to be governed. I think when we're talking about the zero trust and service mesh pieces, that interaction has to be governed by the system, yeah, and yep. external to the services. So to to that you know super user bit, it's not just a super user bit. It is literally 
here are some specific permissions or specific capabilities that episodic in an episodic way i can say you get to you you get to do this for some period of time or in some context great all all wonderful but it doesn't come automatically every time you generate or consume one of these tokens right and even more it has to get logged in so it's explicit it has to be logged in it has Zoo to do. <laughs> deal it has to deal with a registry of some sort it has to, you know you're doing yep. a form of you know i i i think you're abstracting this kind of Yep. I want to say this policy, is... but it's it's kind of process, top-down process kinds of of de declarations yep. that you can make and say these are the conditions under which the following components talk to one another with this you know privileged communication or set of privileges, and and here's how we will govern that amongst this community of microservices. Yep. That makes sense to me. And and to Rocky's point, that's kind of what you want to do with a modern operating system. Yeah. No, it's like, actually it's exactly what we do with um uh blanking on the you know thread or we're tracking threads and services that you're able to operate. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, um, LXD, yeah. And LXD. I, I guess I've I've come to it by specifically getting, you know, cranky about um, <laughs> um, security and 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 the impl implementation of zero trust inside an application inside an application among you know governing the the conversation or the the interaction among among the microservices in order to do something that is hard to do. And, and I think one of the things when I, when I step back and think about a microservice, a multi-vendor microservices architecture here, oh boy, to do that without some agreement on what the token format is, and, and maybe this is stuff that's coming in the Kubernetes because I know they have their their auth projects and things like that. And maybe they're, yeah. maybe that's what they've been doing and I'm just not paying close enough attention. Right. You can't right. make it work without agreement on what that token system is. The exactly. token system is the minimum. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I actually think that there's some Kubernetes, I believe Kubernetes has projects that are doing exactly this. Um, one of Joe yeah. Beta's pet. Like, oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they have like, three or four or five of them unfortunately yeah. of course we love standards that's why we have so many of them right um, no i think you're i think you're right i just i'm i'm not close enough to it either but thank you for thank you for kind of bearing with me through all of this because it, I'm, in finding the right terminology or the right the right images it has been hard I, I was glad I, I didn't expect to have quite as much to contribute, but it's it's nice to realize that the problems we've been solving, you know, sort of in, inside of our system are 
useful thought processes more generally. And I, I and and they are applicable when you move, you know, kind of up the food chain, you know, off, you know, outside of the realm of, of infrastructure. When we start talking about the construction, you can talk about constructing the estate that, you know, the infrastructure estate, but what we're talking about is same kind of construction principles declared on high, projected to the, you know, onto the system that you're using and uh, implemented by the um, application architecture. Well, I actually enjoy these times when we can sit back and go deep into a technical topic. Um, and, you know, it's funny, when we build things, we do have a lot of learning. And for the Rack and team, we've been building stuff, really the same thread of work for over 10 years. And, and I, it does help create some longevity in, in how this works, because we've really been able to solve deeper problems. I hope sharing those items were, were helpful for you in the surface mesh con context. Um, we always want to hear more about what you are doing and what your problems and challenges are. Please come in to at the 2030.cloud. Uh, join these conversations. Uh, they are a lot of fun, and uh, I always learn something. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.